Welcome, dear listeners, to your frightening tales. This one is about a soldier, told to me by A.G. Scott. Daniel Merrin took the toy from a mound of rubble just outside of Berlin. He did not know which poor child it had belonged to previously, and he didn't much care. The Fuhrer, long may he rot, had already taken his coward's exit. The Allies had won, and as dictated by the old saying, to the victors go the spoils. Other men had chosen their souvenirs. This man a red armband, and that man an iron cross. This one an officer's tongue. <laughs> Daniel did not seek anything so morbid. He did not seek anything at all. And he might have returned home empty-handed had the toy not called his name. It stood tall and proud in a, a field of ash and charred shapes. A tiny bronze suit of armor, hand-span tall, gleaming through the smoke. Daniel bent down carefully and held it in his hands, stupefied. It sat among glowing embers. It should have been coal-hot. But no, it was cold to the touch. The little soldier stood on a small triangular platform, his sword and shield at ease. He looked like a regular Don Quixote in miniature. Daniel smiled, imagining the excitement the, the find would bring his young son, Matthew. He just needed to wipe away a little blood. Matthew never played with the little soldier. In fact, he hardly even looked at the thing after his father presented it to him for the first time. I mean, small wonder, its limbs were not opposable, its sword and shield would not budge. This made it a poor opponent for Matthew's other toys, which were Superman and pistol-wielding cowboys and fighter jets. That was one reason why he left the soldier alone. The other was the little slit of darkness in the soldier's mask. Right where the eyes should have been. Whenever Matthew looked at the suit of armor, even out of the very corner of his eye, the hairs on the back of his neck would stand on end. Although he knew better, he felt watched, observed. Matthew never played with the little toy at all. He tried to keep it on his dresser, but while it was there, he could not sleep. Next, he put it in the closet, then the trunk with the rest of his toys. Both spots were preferable to having it out in the open, but the comfort of hiding it was erased by the inevitable. In the morning, after the scrape of the sliding closet door or the creak of the opening trunk lid, the soldier would just be there. Close, too close for comfort, waiting and watching. Then, one ruddy dusk, Matthew's parents found him dead, face down in the bloodied garden pond. Matthew never played with the little soldier, yet 
There it stood at the edge of the garden pond. Mrs. Marin, the mourning mother, wailed and wept. When her voice became too tired to scream, she whispered Spanish prayers, slapping the still surface of the pond. Blood and water splashed up in cones, soaking her slip and seeping through the surrounding soil. Daniel looked everything over, unsure of what to feel as blood splashed against his trousers. As a matter of survival, he had long ago numbed himself to death. Of course, this was his son, his flesh. Uh, he saw himself every time he looked in the boy's eyes. But no, <laughs> he could not even open himself up to this pain. If he felt this death, he would have to feel them all. That he knew he could not survive. Oh, I see you're still here. You weren't too frightened and ran off or anything. Hmm. I, I suppose I could finish the story. If I must. <sighs> After the child-sized coffin had been paid for and the funeral had been suffered, life of the Marins snapped into a, a most peculiar routine. Mrs. Marin had quit her job after Daniel's discharge, so while Daniel was at work, she kept the house and tended the garden out back. But there was only so much of that to do. The, the tables, the counters, the little soldier on the mantel, they were all dusted. The hedges were clipped and the flowers watered. But she had to keep moving or she would be forced to remember what she had seen. Without meaning to, without even realizing, she prepared a sack lunch for the dead son, Matthew. She did it every day. Oh. While Daniel was at work, she threw the food away before he returned. How she envied her husband's strength, and she did her best to put on a brave face. Daniel could not stand the sight of the little soldier anymore. He slid it under Matthew's bed. He hid it behind the couch. He threw it in the trash. Each time, here it would return to its spot on the mantel. Finally, he assumed his wife wanted to keep it for some reason or other. Unbeknownst to him, his wife had assumed the opposite. Though the waking mind conceals much, the sleeping mind reveals all. Mrs. Marin was sleepwalking. Every night, without fail, she walked out to the pond and rested there, clutching the daisies that lined the edge of the water. Daniel became aware of this habit early on, and though it scared him, he understood it. He took to rising before dawn to carry his wife back to her bed. One night, 
Like all of the rest, he awoke to find an empty bed. So he yawned and he stretched and he stumbled down the stairs to retrieve his beloved sonambulist. But this time, when he reached the pond, she was not at rest. One hand held a gleaming object and the other clawed savagely at the earth. Suddenly she stopped and lifted her digging hand to inspect it in the moonlight. Her fingertips were covered in a very dark liquid, a mixture of mud and Matthew's blood. Daniel called to her, but she would not be distracted from her task. She took the little soldier and lifted his mask as high as it would go, just to the tip of his nose. A grin was revealed, wicked yet relaxed with teeth even sharper and shinier than the bronze around it. Mrs. Marin took her bloodied finger and wiped them across the soldier's mouth. And was Daniel deceived? Did the soldier's grin grow wider? No, that was only the idea of a mad person would entertain. He was not mad, but it seemed Mrs. Marin was. My God, he realized. She's returning to the scene of the crime. She killed him. In her hysteria, she killed our Matthew. I should have never left her alone. Oh, the war. It did something to her. Something worse than it did to me. Daniel sent his wife away. The place was a hospital, if in, at least in a name. But Daniel knew people who went in never did get better. He did not visit her, not so much as once. She wastes away there even now. As for the toy soldier, Daniel wiped it clean of the blood. He placed it in a small lunch pail, which he secured with a padlock. And then he locked the pail within a jewelry box, and the jewelry box within Matthew's trunk. And there it lay, behind three locks, rusting among the matted stuffed animals, and broken action figures, and dreams of a boy that would never see them realized. Years passed. Daniel was able to remarry. Her name was Anita Renault, and she did not care to take Daniel's last name. Thank you very much. Don't ask. She had two daughters, Amanda and uh, Amelia, who grew to love Daniel as their own father. Together they revived the garden, and Daniel built a little blue bridge over the pond. The girls watered the flowers, and whenever Anita was not at work, she made crustless sandwiches and sweetened her lemonade with scandalous amounts of sugar. All was well, or so Daniel thought. In the night, while the adults slept, Amanda and Amelia dared, and then Double Dog dared, each other to sneak through the off-limits door. 
Inside, they found Matthew's bedroom. The bed was still unmade. The fighter planes littered the windowsill. Of peculiar interest to the girls was the old trunk, which sat by the foot of the bed. One of the girls, and they argue to this day about which of them did it first, pressed her ear to the lid of the trunk. A voice from inside, faint but clear, whispered them secrets, secrets so scandalous. The girls kept asking for more. Only when the telling was done did the voice inside the trunk reveal his price. And one summer evening, while Daniel was out shopping, Anita and her children disappeared. There was not so much as a conversation, no note. The abandonment disturbed him, but it was not the most disturbing part of his day, for when he returned home, the toy soldier had returned to the mantle, heart-thumping, fingers numb. Daniel ran to Matthew's room. All three locks were still intact. The one on the lunch pail had even rusted shut. He could not have opened the box if he wanted to. And yet, the soldier was free. It was impossible. It was wrong. That night, Daniel's neighbors did not sleep. At the same time, they did not dare voice their discontent. The sounds they heard emanating from the Marin house were wretched. A steel axe striking bronze. A chainsaw screeching against plate armor. The crackle of a great fire. The screams of a man at his wit's end. And a few hours of silence. They heard a car start up and squeal away. Daniel drove right up the edge of the towering cliffs near Manzanita. He exited his car, leaving the engine running. There he stood at the brink of oblivion. Hundreds of feet over the angry ocean, tying the little bronze soldier to his chest. He felt the anguish he ought to have felt for his son. Somewhere deep within, a floodgate opened, and he felt the pain for every brother he had lost in war. He felt the pain for all the innocent lives he had taken. He felt pain most of all for the death of the good man he had once believed himself to be. With the little soldier's sharp edges scratching at his chest, Daniel dove from the cliff. Oh, most folks assume he met a fate on the toothy crags below. Perhaps not. Perhaps he washed ashore, broken, but survived for a time. But surely not for that long. 
and his body, well, it was never recovered. Months later, a young family acquired the Marin house at an extreme discount. The patriarch was not quite established in his practice. A house this grand at this price. Why, the Smiths could not believe their luck. The previous owners had even left behind the furniture, and to Mrs. Smith's surprise, why it suited her taste quite perfectly. The children, too, they, they loved everything about the place, except, uh, except perhaps the little toy soldier on the mantel, the one watching and waiting. And thus concludes the story of a soldier, as told to me by A.G. Scott some time ago, February 2nd, 2021. At any rate, this has been a frightening tale, as presented by Wilhelm, the buffoon, for your entertainment. Please return again, if you're brave enough. still here? But it's over. Go home. Do something with your life. <laughs>